We're going to be continuing our study of this letter that Paul wrote to his disciple. Thanks. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 19, and I'd like to read that for us as we begin. 2 Timothy 2.14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the privilege we have to have your word in front of us, to hear what you spoke through the Apostle Paul, in this case, in his letter to Timothy, that was written for our instruction too. And Father, I pray that you would give us an eagerness to hear your word, a joy and delight in doing it, and just a desire to know you better. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite places to visit when I was uh, growing up was my aunt and uncle who lived in uh, Fergus Falls. And one of the reasons that I enjoyed it was uh, this uncle was one of my dad's brothers. And whenever my dad and, and my uncle got together, they would always tell stories. And a lot of them were stories about what it was like growing up. And of course, they never remembered things quite the same way, and so they'd argue about the details and who was right, and then they'd laugh, and we all laugh, and it was really quite entertaining to hear uh, what they would share through the years. My aunt and uncle also were collectors. Uh, they collected antique furniture, antique tools, antique coins, and visiting their home was a little bit like visiting a museum filled with all kinds of interesting things, especially as a child. And my uncle was also a craftsman. Uh, he loved to work with wood, and his wife, my aunt, was an artist. And uh, this is an example of the kinds of things that they did. I, um, she would do rose mauling, and he would build things like, you know, trunks or trays or plates or clocks, and he'd put them together, you know, and she would do the painting in that style of Norwegian rose mauling, and she was very good at it. Uh, she would, was pretty well known up in that area for the things that she did and she sold. And I always thought that was wonderful, the joy that they had working together on these kind of projects, especially when he uh, retired and had more time to do that as well. Uh, one of the things that was an example of his sense of humor, too, was that sometimes he would make a salt and pepper shaker just simply out of a block of wood and make it look just like, you know, it had a little round top on and put the holes in and everything. But if he used it, you couldn't get a thing out of it. You know, it was just, just solid. He said it was for those who had high blood pressure and weren't supposed to have salt, you know, and it, it, he sold quite a few of those through the years. Well, it was just a, a joy to see them. And I think that 
you know, when we think about craftsmanship, I think of the verse in Proverbs 22:29 that says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will perform before kings. We all admire craftsmanship. And it doesn't matter whether someone's an artist, a builder, a musician, a photographer, a cook. We admire people who do their work well and are very skilled in that. Well, the text today calls us to be craftsmen with God's Word. To bring that kind of desire to be skilled with God's Word for all of us. I mean, it is especially essential for ministers that we, able to, that we are able to handle the Word of God accurately, with excellence. But it is something that all of us should strive for, to be craftsmen when it comes to God's Word. And what would it take for that to happen in your life? That's what we're going to think about this morning. Well, number one, a craftsman knows his tools. He knows his tools in every church that Paul started, he knew that one of the greatest dangers would be false teaching. False teachers came into the church after he would leave and they'd bring their own brand of teaching and they would change things that Paul had said. So Paul exhorts Timothy here as a pastor in Ephesus to keep reminding them of these things. Now what are these things that he's saying? These things are the gospel. These things are are what is essential to salvation. It is the truth of God's word. Timothy, you need to keep reminding God's people about these things that are so essential to our faith. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. He's like, I don't want you to get into word fights. That's literally what it's talking about here. Where sometimes people end up in these kind of intellectual discussions about things that have no value or no practical application to life. They are simply arguing about words. And he said in verses 16 to 18, avoid godless chatter. Avoid godless chatter, speculation, things like that. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So why is he saying we should avoid these kinds of things? He tells us because it leads to ruin. The word there in Greek is actually the word catastrophe. I mean, to engage in this kind of fruitless discussion has no benefit at all to our faith. Those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly, and it spreads like gangrene. Just like gangrene gets into a person's body and can affect the whole limbs and need to be amputated or things like that. So this kind of false teaching can affect the whole church. It can ruin, it can destroy the body. Now we don't know all that they were arguing about. One of the things that these two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, were saying though was that the resurrection had already taken place. They denied that there was going to be a bodily resurrection. They were teaching sort of a spiritual resurrection that took place when you were born again. And, and so you don't need to worry about it. It's already happened. And they did not believe in a physical bodily resurrection. They were denying what Jesus himself taught and what happened to Jesus when he rose from the dead. Paul would answer that question more fully in 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about how essential the resurrection is to our faith. And here were men who were bringing false teaching into the church, and they were leading others astray. 
Now that happens. It's still a threat today. And what is really dangerous about it is that sometimes you'll listen to people who will, uh, maybe 85, 90% of what they say would be true, or you may agree with it as you listen to them, but there's 10% where they've kind of taken this astray. They're moving outside of the bounds of the faith, and they're starting to teach things that are not really biblical positions at all. And it gets very dangerous, and it calls for discernment. So how do we handle those kind of situations when people are saying things that when you hear that, you wonder, that just doesn't seem true to Scripture. What's going on here? Well, that's where our understanding of the Word of God comes in. Well, let me give you an example. It's a, it's a good Sunday to use props. We've got Vacation Bible School going on here today, and so I brought in a, a tool bucket. And I, I am not a craftsman. I'm going to pull this back so you can see it over there. I'm not a craftsman when it comes to tools. But, you know, I, I know how to do a few things around the house. So, for example, if Gail wants me to hang a picture, you know, I know I'm going to need one of these things. I'm going to need a hammer. I'll probably take out the stud finder to find where the stud is in the wall, you know. And if I want to make sure the picture's hanging straight, I've got a level I can use, you know, and things like that. Now, those are just tools that we all are familiar with and want to use. I have some other things in here, you know, like I really like this pipe wrench. I just like the feel of it in my hands, you know. It was my dad's pipe wrench, and I don't get to use this very often. I mean, I mean it could kind of substitute as a hammer, but it's not really a hammer, is it? And in fact, if you try to use it that way, you'd probably do some serious damage that wouldn't be too good to do. You know, each tool has a specific purpose. Uh, as a kid, again, growing up, I remember one time I tried to use something that I shouldn't. A sharpening stone as a hammer just broke it, shattered it. My dad was not too happy with that. Um, there are things that you learn along the way. I learned that screwdrivers, you know, this, this has a nice edge to it, but it's not really a chisel. It's not made to be a chisel. Each tool has a specific purpose. Okay, well, it's that way when it comes to the Word of God as well that we want to be able to use the Word of God accurately. Now, the Bible is really a collection of 66 books. It's one book. We think of it that way, one author behind it all, but it's really 66 individual books, and each book has a certain theme, a certain message. And the goal really for all of us should be to understand what God's Word says in each of those books. And understand what they're about. For example, what's the book of Genesis about? Well, that's a book of origins. That's the beginning of all things. What about Exodus? Well, Exodus is really a picture of our salvation. That just like the Israelites were in bondage, in slavery, unable to free themselves, needed to be delivered by God, so we in our sin were in bondage to sin and could not free ourselves. And we needed God to do what only he could do. What about Leviticus? Well, Leviticus is about the law, but it's also really about holiness, that we are to be holy because God is holy. The book of Numbers, it's about wandering. It's really a picture of the Christian life and what it means to walk with God and to follow that Holy Spirit's leading, that pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and how it led them through the wilderness and how we get into trouble when we don't follow God and we want to go our own way. 
And each book of the Bible has a message, has an application, has something that we can learn and profit from. And so, you know, when I teach a survey course, my goal is to help you get a feel for each book of the Bible so that when you come to situations, you can go, you know what, I know which book to pull down, take a look, and use, and speak to the needs. I actually do that when it comes to deciding what are we going to speak on in this next year. When I think about our preaching series, and I take a prayer retreat and I get away with the Lord, I'm thinking, you know, Lord, what is it that you want to say to us? What is it that we need to hear? And next year, for example, we're going to be going through 1 Peter. One of the reasons for that is that 1 Peter talks about what it means to live as aliens and strangers in a foreign land. And I just think our culture is changing rapidly. And more and more we feel that. We feel like we're an alien. We're just not in step. And we shouldn't be with what's going on in our world in many areas. And so what does that mean? We're going to look at Second Peter, which is so strong on the Word of God, the authority of Scripture, because we see in our world even where sadly sometimes denominations have moved away from the authority of God's Word. And we want to see what God has to say about His Word, which is truth and its power in our life. And so I use it in that way to think through, okay, God, what is it that you want to say to us today in each of these areas? So how do we gain a working knowledge of the Scriptures? Well, we do it by reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God. It's Psalm 1. The blessed man is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers or stand in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his word he meditates day and night. And the fruit of that that comes is that he'll be like a tree firmly planted, able to bear fruit in all the seasons of life because God is giving him that strength. There is no better defense against doctrinal error And there is no better way to grow in our faith than to be a people who understand and know the Word of God. The psalmist asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? It is by living according to your Word. How do we understand or know the way that God wants us to go? Well, again, God's Word gives us that direction. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you have a regular habit of reading and studying God's Word. It's the only way that we'll get to know this book well, is by making that a habit in our life, to either in our personal devotional life, to do that and do that kind of study, or also in meeting with small groups with other believers to encourage us in our faith. Secondly, a craftsman knows how to use his tools. 2 Timothy 2.15 He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is a great verse. It is actually, as many of you recognize, it's the Awana theme verse. Awana is an acrostic, and it stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. And that's a great thing to be able to teach our children how to use and understand God's Word, to memorize it and hide it in their heart. In the King James Version, the word was study to show yourself approved. But actually, the NIV translation of do your best is a little bit better because it's broader than just study. 
It's not like just, you know, hit the books and then, and then you'll know what to do. Study is a part of it, but it's really also the application. It's putting God's Word into practice in your life. It's knowing and doing what God has said. You see, it's one thing to know what a hammer is, but it's another thing to actually know how to use it. And the way you learn how to use it is by doing it. And if you don't use a hammer well, you can do some pretty serious damage to your thumb if you miss the mark. And the same way, in terms of the Word of God, we want to understand how to use the Word of God accurately to handle it well. And the word for accurately in the Greek there means to cut straight. To cut straight. It would be like a seamstress cutting cloth or like Paul as a tent maker cutting that canvas to make that tent. Or it would be used of a farmer plowing a straight furrow. Or it would be used of a builder cutting stone. That's what the word means. And so it's saying that we, when we come to the word of God, are to handle it accurately. In contrast to the false teachers who twisted and used God's word to make it say something they wanted to say, or told people what they wanted to hear, we are to say what God has said. No more, no less. We're to understand the meaning of the text and to apply that to our life. When I was in seminary, one of the big battles being fought was over the inerrancy of Scripture. And the question was, is this book God's Word? Is it authoritative in all areas and everything that it says? And was it inerrant as originally given? Or is this book just the words and thoughts of men? And, you know, uh, what God said then, you know, uh, you know, that was for that time, and God speaks to us now, and so he may say something different now, and so the things change. And there are, again, uh, those who believe that, that things have changed. And the question then becomes, you know, uh, do we have a high view of Scripture where this book has authority over us and we need to come in line with the Scripture? Or do we as men have authority over the Word where we can kind of decide what is the Word of God, what isn't the Word of God, what applies, what doesn't, and all those kind of things. And that's why in our generation some things that once were considered sin are no longer considered sin because people have moved away from that kind of high view of Scripture authority of the word well in evangelical churches we affirm that we believe that the bible is the inerrant inspired word of god but there is still a danger for us and the danger for us comes to the way that we use the word or study it you know if for example we have a bible study with a group of 10 people and we sit around and we read a passage of Scripture, and then we go, well, what do you think it says, and what do you think it says, and what do you think it says? And ten people give ten different opinions, and they're kind of like even at opposite ends. And we, we affirm that and say all opinions are equally valid, then we're missing the mark of the text. That, that's not the way that we're to do Bible study. The way that we're to study the Scriptures is to seek to understand what was the author's intent. What did God mean? What was his intention when he gave us this word? And so we're looking for that single meaning of the text 
Now that single meaning may have many applications to life in different areas, but the focus is again on what is it that God has said. That's the real key point. And the only way that you get that is by doing that kind of diligent study that looks at the text. Some passages are more obvious than others. Some it's as plain as the nose on our face, what it means. And others, it's like we have to dig more to figure out, okay, exactly what was God saying. That's why learning how to read and study the scriptures is so important. One method that I've used since I became a Christian is very simple, but it is very helpful. And it is remembering these four key words. The key words are observation, and that's where we're looking at the text to say, what does it say? We're looking like you would for the who, what, where, when, how, why, all those kind of questions just to see what does it say? And then the interpretation comes from, well, what does it mean? Well, if you do good observation, generally that answers a lot of the interpretation questions of what it means. And there are other tools that can help us with that. A good study Bible can help. There are commentaries that have been written that can help. And there are, again, in those commentaries, there are good and bad. And so you want to make sure that you kind of ask the question and say what would be a good series to look at or good tools to use. And then the third question is really application, where we're getting at how does this apply to my life? Because the goal of studying the scripture is not just to get a lot of details in our mind. You know, it's not to fill our head with knowledge, but it's to change our life. And then the fourth word is correlation. How does this fit with other scriptures or the rest of scripture as I understand it? And what you do is you do study that way. You're building this grid of line upon line. You're teaching yourself the Word of God. And, and the check in all of this is, you know, if you come up with something that nobody's ever thought of in 2,000 years, you might want to run that by another mature believer or just look at that again. Because there's a lot of good people that have gone before us in their understanding of the Word of God that can help us. Our desire is to know God's Word so well that we can apply it to our own life and we can help others to understand it too. So let me ask you some questions. For example, do you feel confident that you could share the gospel clearly? Do you feel that you could share it in such a way that you could help someone else come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord? That's really basic. Every believer should be able to do that. How about this? If a teenager asks you, what does the Bible say about dating or marriage? Where would you turn in the scriptures? Or if someone was dealing with grief or anger or lust or jealousy or forgiveness or worry, what scriptures would you use? How would you share with them to encourage them or help them through the issues that they are wrestling with? Now, it's not necessary that all of us have all of those things memorized. There are some promise books that you can use. There's times when a concordance can be very helpful in looking something up and addressing that. But the more we know God's Word in our heart, in our head, the better able we are going to be able to minister to others and have that Word come to mind as we deal with different situations in our life. That's being a craftsman with the Word of God. Knowing what it means, knowing how to use it. But thirdly, and I think this is very important too, a craftsman knows who he is working for. 
Paul writes here to Timothy that we are to do our best to present ourselves to God for approval, not man. To God for approval, not man. And in verse 19, Paul says the Lord knows those who are his, his people, his church. And he goes on to say that everyone who truly knows the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And indeed, if they do know the Lord, they will. There will be growth and change in their life where they are turning away from sin in the areas of their life where they see it. A craftsman knows who he's working for. Let me give you an example of that. Say I'm a painter, and um, Dave here asked me to paint his house. And, uh, you know, Dave tells me the, the color that he wants me to paint it. He tells me how he wants the trim to look like, what he wants me to do. You know, he wants me to make sure it's all scraped down so it's all ready to go. It's going to get a good finish on there, and I'll prime those areas where maybe it's a little weathered or new boards had to put in. And, and he, I've got all of that down, and so I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, and he's the one who hired me. But say I start painting that house, and then Gary comes along, and he says... I don't like that color. I don't think that color is so good, you know. I mean, why'd you pick that? You know, I think it would look better with this other color. And, and imagine that I actually change. And, and I say, you know, well, yeah, I don't, okay, I'll do that. I'll make Gary happy and I'll paint this color like this, you know. Dave's not going to be very happy with me, is he? Because Dave's the one who hired me. Dave's the one who called me to do this work and told me what he wanted me to do. Now, if God tells us in his word that something is right or wrong, or he tells us something's sin, and this is something that we should not do, and the world comes along and it says, I don't like that. I don't like that. You know, I, I don't like that message anymore. I think you ought to say this. If I change the message to please the world, I'm not being faithful to God, am I? That's not what God's called me to do. And that happens, sadly, where messages get changed and where what Paul is going to say in chapter 4 here, that Timothy, the day's going to come when people aren't going to put up with sound teaching, but they're going to want to gather to themselves teachers who will say what they want to hear. But you, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Now, I think that is so important here and that each of us has to answer the question, who are we trying to please? Is it God or is it man? Have you ever been tempted to kind of want to water down the truth or soften the truth in a conversation? Don't do it. Don't do it. Have you ever been tempted to want to maybe kind of change the message because the Scripture made you feel uncomfortable? or because the Word of God challenged you or convicted you, it intends to. It is doing its job when it does that. It intends to convict us about sin and righteousness and judgment. It intends to show us our sin and where we need to grow and change. But it also points us to the answer in Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that God is the audience that counts ultimately. And when we stand before him, what this verse tells us is that two verdicts will be passed, either approved or ashamed. Approved or ashamed. One day we'll stand before the Lord, all of us. And I think about that for me as a teacher. 
And God's going to say, Rick, did you build my church well on the foundation of my word? Or did you build poorly, compromising the truth or sharing your own thoughts? The verdict would be ashamed in that day. Because God has called us to be craftsmen with the word of God and to handle it accurately with excellence. And so there are times when, yes, it may sound like the claims of Christ are exclusive. They are. They are exclusive. There is salvation and no one else. And so this movement we see in our generation toward a universalism or that all will be saved or that it really doesn't matter is all a lie from the enemy. Or the social issues, the moral issues that come up when there is this pressure to change. We need to hold firm to what the Scripture says. Is this important to God? Yes, it is. You can read through the books of the prophets and you will see it come up time and time again. But I want to give you a couple examples from Jeremiah. In Jeremiah's day, Israel had moved so far away. Now uh, the northern tribes had been taken away in captivity and we were down to just Judah that remained. And they had turned away from the word of God and were listening to other people. And Jeremiah so often felt like he was alone in what he said. And God spoke through Jeremiah and said this. He said, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? It was a sad commentary on the people themselves that they loved this. They loved this new teaching. But it was not the word of God that they were getting. And you can go to the next verse in Jeremiah. God said, I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. And they say, I had a dream. I had a dream. And how long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name. Just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what is straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? And again, in the book of Malachi, some 200 years later, God would say again through Malachi the prophet, that the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you've turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble and you have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. The people were to go to the priest to find out what is it that God had said and when they went they were not hearing the truth of God's word and because the priest had caused God to be despised in the eyes of the people God said he would cause them to be despised as well God cares about his word God's word is eternal heaven and earth will one day pass away but his words will never pass away and they will accomplish all that he intends. So for our part, 
we want to strive to be craftsmen when it comes with the Word of God. A people who know it well, who handle it accurately, and who remember who we serve. Let's pray. Father, I think of what Jesus said in this high priestly prayer, that thy word is true. And he called us to, to be sanctified in that truth, to be made holy, to be made right with you. And Father, I pray that you would do your work in our life, day by day, week by week, that our understanding of your word would grow and that we would seek to live in line with it. And Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would continue that process of sanctification that makes us more and more like your Son. Father, help us to be faithful in the way we share your word, to share the gospel clearly, and to call others to put their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. There is no other way to live. There's no other way to be saved. And so, Lord, we look to you as our one and only hope. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, and thank you that you will bring us safely home. In your name we pray. Amen.